On today's episode, we talk to Doug McLeod, Associate Professor of Composition and Communication at SUNY Cobble Skill, about comedy, nostalgia, and everything in between. Welcome to the Nostalgia Test Podcast, the show where two longtime friends put their mainstream pop culture past to the ultimate test, the Nostalgia Test. What's up, Dan? We're here. Here's another one of uh, Dan's favorite type of uh, new episodes for this year. I love these episodes. The academic, what do we call it? Like like the academic series? I think it's like series. I think we're going to have to put a title on it and almost be like Nostalgia Test Academy or the Nostalgia, yeah, or test, nostalgia test 101. Nostalgia right. Test 101. Oh, man. Uh, well, yeah. Well, well, you could do like Norm McDonald's, uh, like uh, uh, talk about it as uh, podcasting poison. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Let's get right into it. Dan. So, yeah. Our guest is already just chiming in, getting right in there. We're here today with a really great guest. Actually, we've been uh, communicating uh, over email. Been looking forward to this uh, episode. We are with uh, Doug McLeod, who's an associate professor of communications and composition at SUNY Cobble Skill. Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, this is this is an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, when, when I heard about this, uh, it was it's kind of up my alley. I teach a comedy class at uh, SUNY Cobble Skill. Uh, gets uh, a lot of um, a lot of play and a lot of enrollment. So, so this was uh, when I had heard about this. I said, "Man, this is right up my alley. I love uh, love this stuff. Loved it <laughs> since I was a kid." So, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No, oh, I mean we appreciate it. I mean the last few episodes that we've done like this has been like so eye opening, and I'm we I feel like appreciate because it, it makes us be like our 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 podcast has been all about like let's watch eat play like re-listen to a bunch of stuff and totally just either ruin it for the rest of our lives or like be like yeah we we definitely sometimes ruin our childhood like no no why did we do that to ourselves we thought it was so great but this event we've actually put some stand-up comedy to the test some some albums to the test um i'm going right off the bat dan go i want to know something Mm -hmm. doug so you said it's really highly uh this class people want to sign up for this class um, mm-hmm. Are these people thinking they're funny or are they just like, <laughs> I, are they just interested in comedy or a little bit of both? Like, do you need to tell right. them they're not funny or like, well, or like, <laughs> you know, so. Well, they, they, no, they actually come into the class thinking I'm funny and then they become sorely disappointed. Uh, and then they decide, <laughs> they decide I'm not that interested in this class. And I end up having one student there. every. So there you go. All right. Yeah, no. So it's like no, the class actually- is just like a spotlight and one mic. Like, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And but I usually use a stool. I have a bottle of water, you know, next to me. Yeah. Actually, it's you like could actually Robin tell. Williams I kind of dress. Yeah, I kind of dress like a stand up from the 80s. There you go. <laughs> Keeping it nostalgic. Well, yeah, what kind right. of well, what kind of stuff do you do in the comedy classroom? Uh, in the comedy class, like your communications and compositions professor. Um, yeah. so I'm kind of interested in how you incorporate comedy into that. And then, you know, some of the things you think, you, you know, your students do. Yeah. Um, I, um, the way that I do it is, uh, I teach it by decade. So what I do is, is I go from the 
pretty much from the 1920s, talk about old school, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, stuff like that. Uh, talking about, you know, the old clowns and vaudeville and, and talking about class issues associated with that. We're going into the early stages of the depression and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, and how comedy kind of connected in that way. Then I moved up to the 30s, talk about His Girl Friday, talk about the screwball comedies. Uh, then the uh, 40s, um, uh, let's see, in the 40s, what do I uh, talk about? I got to I pull up my, I, I actually pulled up my thing just to make sure that I, my class to make sure they knew what I was talking about here. Um, oh, uh, 40s and 50s actually talk about sex comedies and some like it hot. Uh, and the politics get into that with uh, Dr. Strangelove. So as you can see, I kind of move in a, in a very linear direction mm. uh, when it comes to that stuff. But, you know, and try to find ways to show how comedy connects with culture uh, and mm. how important it is to culture, mm. whether it reflects it or whether it makes fun of it, either one or the other. I mean, first of all, I wish I took a class like that in college. Yeah. Just because I, for, I love the. So you do all sorts of comedy. It's not just stand up. You're doing like right. you just said, like the shows, t- TV shows, movies, um, other things that are going on. But right. I love I love all of it. But I, I particularly love the act of stand up comedy. Like even I, I like love when stand ups do not do well and I'm not making yes. fun of them. To me, the fact that you stood up. Mm. is an art right there like to stand up and make a joke and try to make these people in front of me laugh dan did it dan did it i went and saw dan years ago and it was so impressive to me because first of all i knew his stories so like i was like listening to a story him tell a story in such a different way and how he set it up the punchline and everything dan i still remember it with the photo uh with the (laughs) um the one hour photo joke that you did so um, I just thought I think it's such an impressive, impressive art form. Um, mm-hmm. and like when people like cringe when someone's bombing, I'm just like, dude, the the amount of work he's putting in and just learning from the fact that he just failed is is huge to me. Like mm-hmm. that uh movie, uh the co- the comedian that Jerry Seinfeld made, the documentary. Yes, yes, phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm-hmm movie to watch of how a person constructs a show to go on TV, like how he bombed so much just to make 45 minutes and like how people thought, think it's so easy. And like, it's, it's just, I love, there's nothing bad. There's not, there's no bad stand up to me. Cause like, it's all amazing, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of stand up comics will tell you that, and, and you even, I think about it from the standpoint, but Dan, you, you know, being a teacher too, the way that you succeed is to fail, right? I mean, oh, so, yeah. you know, the, the only way that you can learn from experiences is to say, uh, is, is to not be perfect at what it is that you do, right? And you're going to try something out and it just doesn't work. And then you move forward and you say, well, that didn't work. How do I uh, adjust it. Talking about Jerry Seinfeld specifically, he has this great little thing I use in my classes, my composition classes, mm. because I always talk about composition uh, uh, as I say, the best type of writing to watch is generally stand-up comedy. Uh, and Jerry Seinfeld has this great little clip, a New York Times clip, where he talks about the construction of a joke. If you watch comedians in cars getting coffee, 
-hmm. he speaks about how like certain words are funny, you know, he's talking about the pop, a pop tart joke and talking about how pop tarts, you know, like, you know, are (laughs) now, see, this is the thing about me. I would be terrible as a stand-up comedian because (laughs) I am, I could, I can't tell a story. I'm horrible at joke telling. I am the, I am the, you know, I'm awful at that. But when it comes to just kind of natural conversation, I can, I can make a joke. Things kind of come up pretty quickly, Mm. you know, and I can, I can do it. But when it comes to like telling even a joke that another comedian tells, I would destroy it. Mm. Um, So I, that's, and what Manny is saying is right. I have so much respect for that art form. Um, And it's, and it's because it's about the writing. It's about the delivery. It's about the moment. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's another thing too. An act could work in one place. And then the next thing you know, the act is not working someplace else. That's right. Yeah. And so it, it, it just, it boggles my mind. And I think that's the kind of the, the, the beauty and the, and the burden of it for a lot of these comics. And that's yeah, there's a lot, a lot of improv. Of there's like improv. It's like, it's funny. Cause it's gotta be structure and mm. it's storytelling. Like, and it, you had a beginning, middle and end, but then there has to be some improv involved because mm. like you said, if you're in a city that that jo- joke just doesn't land now, what mm-hmm. now, right. what? like, do you switch up your whole set? Like, Oh man, did, I had a whole half hour of this topic and it didn't seem to like grab like, mm. okay, now I got to flip the script and go somewhere else. And like, talk about pivoting. You know, we learned a lot about that during the pandemic, like comics, stand up comedians have been pivoting for years, years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see, well, I was on, thinking about, oh, go know, ahead, Dan. Sorry. I was just going to say like this idea that of pivoting and learning what works in one place and not right on, on that show, um, the, uh, on Mrs. Maisel, right? Like she, <laughs> she is on like on a, in around season three, I think, or two, I forget. Anyway, she she's on tour for the first time and she's in Vegas and she's doing all these very specific New York jokes and they're not landing at all in Vegas, right? Yeah. The Vegas crowd's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's told the the the, the casino owner who is really hilarious, like told the mafioso, but he tells her, you know, you got them at the end. You were really doing well at the end. Do that. Stop talking about like Bergdorf's or like this store here that's really specific <laughs> to New York or whatever. And then you got them. And it's like learning that craft, right? Like, and you were saying like teaching is very like connected because you go into a classroom, you're like, I have what yeah. I want to do this semester. And you're like, I'm hoping it works. And it might work with the class in the morning, but not work with the class in the afternoon. Absolutely. And the class in the evening, you're just like, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and just ask them what they need. And just kind of like you're just in the moment. And it's kind of so very similar to stand in front of a group and be like, okay, here's my hour and 20 or here's my 50 minutes or whatever my time is for as a teacher, you know? Yeah, no, you're right about that. I remember once I was, I was teaching um, a class at the personal communication class. I think it was. And, uh, usually that class goes pretty well. There's a lot of discussion and stuff like that, but it wasn't, I mean, you know, I stood there and there was just nothing going on every class. It was just nothing. And so what I decided to do, I said, you know what, I'm going to just try something. I remember at a conference, someone said that what they did was they had one class that was completely silent. And all they did was, all they did was um, uh, kind of just sit there in silence. But being that it was interpersonal communication, I said, I want to add a little bit more to this. So what I did was I had them set up an account on, what we call Moodle. I don't know what you have, Blackboard or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And 
what they do is what they did was they would type, I would type one question to them about interpersonal communication through the, the system and they wouldn't, they can't talk, but all they can do is type up this, the conversation. And so what we did was have a silent class with that. Right. And it worked really well. But the thing is, is I said, you know what, I'm just going to do this once. You know, I'm not sure if I could really let it go time after time after time again, but it's like, sometimes you just have to think on the fly, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and just kind of, see how it flows I mean, so yeah i mean comedians do that a lot i mean you see it like one of our favorite comedians i mean mitch hedberg i mean he was mm -hmm. he had jokes very like written i mean he was such a he was such a meticulous writer and i think that some people forget like how much mitch hedberg wrote like those jokes weren't just like nonsense jokes he like was writing and crafting and revising those those one-line jokes and but then when they, he saw things were happening, not happening, he would throw these <laughs> like ad libs in there that would just be so interesting to kind of turn the tide a little bit. And the audience was like caught off guard by that. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. oh, and that off catching people off guard creates the kind of like trust. And it's like, all right, give me that next joke. Let's see what happens on the next one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that time that Dan, there's an episode. I remember like he was bombing. Mm -hmm. He was like, but not for us because we were watching it like we loved anything Mitch Hedberg did. Yeah. Um, and if you if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Mitch Hedberg is, I don't know how you you've been listening to this podcast. <laughs> Go back, listen to all his jokes. But I remember he was he was bombing on his one special, and he's like, "Oh, everybody came to the not so special Mitch, yeah. Mitch Hedberg special because like he had people there that just got tickets." And they yeah. didn't know who he was. So they weren't understanding yeah. his jokes. They were like, mm -hmm. what is this? Like this one liner. What, he kind of sounds like a stoner. It sounds like he's just making this up on the fly, which he wasn't. And then there was a moment in that 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 um, show. Right. Yeah. That you could tell the cl the crowd all of a sudden got it. They were like, yeah. oh, this is how he he rolls. Yeah. And then all of a sudden and this kind of now is going to tie into this cultural conversation i want to have now all of a sudden the zeitgeist of that room is like we're for it whatever you say yeah, now yeah. we're in it like you're gonna mm -hmm. say some the same style the same types of jokes that you said for half hour that we weren't laughing at but now we're into it so mm -hmm. let's do this you know yeah. and like that's just that's art to me and, that, and that's amazing and then it just also shows you about like what I wanted to go back to, like you were, you, we were talking about culture and I know this is like a random connection, but how throughout the years, how comedy has changed and like what people thought mm -hmm. wasn't comedy now can be comedy and the outliers. Like, do you guys go over that? Like the people that you were talking about, like there's some races, racism, race gets in involved in it. There's other things that right. can be brought up throughout the years and the decades it changes. Right. Slapstick is right. no longer funny, but then all of a sudden it is like, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. I am um, with my comedy class. I just mentioned, uh, well, composition, my composition class. I would show uh, a clip uh, from George Carlin's Jammin' in New York, uh, which was an airline, uh, air, an airline sketch, you know, like, and you know, I'm, I'm assuming cursing's allowed on this. On this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, you know, yeah. He's like, get on the plane, get on the plane. He says, fuck you. I'm getting in the plane in the plane, you know, let evil Knievel get on the plane, right? Um, uh, and stuff like that. And I would do, I would actually show that clip in a, com, uh, in, um, a revision class. 
Mm. How do you go about revising and the way you word things and, and all of that sort of thing? Mm. And I would back in 2008, 2009, 2010, show that clip, no problem whatsoever. Now I don't show the clip anymore. Like, for example, he discusses co concepts of what is, uh, you know, calling it a cockpit, for example, and stuff like that, right? And as funny as it is, at the same time, I recognize that it could be very uncomfortable for individuals in the class. Mm. So what I do is I just tell them, listen, watch this. Most of the time, it's not a problem, but sometimes it can be. And so I say, watch this on your own. Make sure you watch it. If you're uncomfortable with it, you don't have to watch it. In my, and I'll just mention in my comedy class, I always have a disclaimer in the beginning of the semester, mm -hmm. making sure to let them know, you may, uh, you may not find this funny. Other people do. Make sure you're uh, aware of that. And there are going to be, well, for example, we have a whole class on blackface in the movie Bamboozled, mm -hmm. uh, which is Spike Lee's satire. That's kind of like a network, uh, you know, a modern day network uh, uh, satire. Um, and it's a brilliant piece of work, It's but it's not easy to get through. Oh. Um, and so, um, and so, but I, I make sure to let them know this is how it was. Al Jolson did it, you know, and. Back in the early days of and uh, in, in the early days of comedy, that was something that was done in vaudeville. So, yeah. you know, so going to Manny's point, I think that that there's some correct uh, that, that's certainly correct. But I want to mention also, I saw Bill Burr uh, on uh, in concert, and I can tell you he's very similar in that way, where he's able to just do things on the fly. He's just so he's so quick and so on it, and the audience is is with him the entire time though, when you know, you, I think most people going to a Bill Burr concert, no Bill Burr. Mm -hmm. I think most people have a concept of who he is at this point, especially now with all the, you know, social media platforms that there are out there and, and that sort of thing. But, um, but either way, he, he was just so on with improv stuff. He is so, so good there. And I saw Gilbert Gottfried and he would just, there was a heckler mm -hmm. in, in Gilbert Gottfried that I was actually being, dragged out this guy blood on the floor i'm telling you it was that wow <laughs> that bad uh and gilbert godfrey just kind of stopped let it go and then just kept on going with the set uh and but didn't stop or didn't really do much in the way of improv kind of just let it go so everybody has their way of doing it they want you know it depends on the on the the way that their brain works i suppose yeah but like it goes back like so I always find it interesting, like how subjective comedy can be too. like, you know, well, you might, you just said it, you might not think this is funny, but other people do. But, and because of that, I think right. comedy should never stop. Like there should never right. be censorship on comedy because I think we're like the, I think comedy is like the last, I don't know. It's, is it the last, like, glimmer of hope that you know speech <laughs> is is still allowed and you're allowed just to like be able to make fun of everything but then like some right. people might just be like no it's too offensive then it's just like well shut it off like yeah well but but oh go ahead dad yeah oh, i was just gonna say like so like mark Marin was talking about this on his podcast like he he, did, he had two episodes he had one episode where he was he was mentioning he was talking about comedians that kind of are complaining about this idea that they're being canceled and stuff and and he was like look he's just like he used to tell jokes that would were like he would never tell again and he he had audience members come up to him tell him that was you know that hurt me here this is why and he changed 
And he's like, I can still be funny. He's like, I can still do the things yeah, that I want to do. And I can still be funny. He's like, without punching down on, on groups that have been punched down on historically. Right. And so like, and it's interesting because he's like, he, he also then had a, a comedic comedy historian on who I'm forgetting his name. And they were talking about like real canceling, like what real canceling was. And they brought up Lenny Bruce and they were like, that mm -hmm. was being canceled is like the federal government was coming down on him. He's being arrested for saying a word. He's being put in jail. He's being put. He's like everyone else. He's like is being there are people reacting and there are people telling them that they don't want to be talked about like that anymore. But these comedians are still making a living where Lenny Bruce became like totally destroyed, like his whole career was destroyed. And so like yeah. there was like this whole comparison and it's like it's really interesting where like I get the idea of everything of like, you know, like I'm, you know, you could say what you want, but like, I feel like some comedians are also asking to also be free from the, the consequences of what they say and that you're not free from, you could say whatever you want, but don't think that you're going to be, not be a reaction and you can't be free from a reaction. Like that's just, right, right. that's freedom True. of speech coming the other way. That's that's the exchange of that freedom of speech. Like sure. you can't just be free to say whatever you want and then not think that someone's not going to say something back, you know, and I think that's well, kind of the, the dichotomy of it. Yeah, it's also based on context, though, too. And the fact is, is that I could show George Carlin in a classroom, but if it's making people feel uncomfortable, there's going to some, someone's bound to go to, to the Dean or something and say, listen, this guy is showing stand-up comedy in his classroom. Right. Mm -hmm. it, and it's a composition class. So how mm -hmm. do those two things connect? Now I could make that connection. There's no doubt about that. But the fact is, is that that other person won't see it because all they do is hear bad words. Right. But mm -hmm. also thinking about Lenny Bruce specifically from, you know, and by the way, Lenny Bruce has a special place in my heart because he he is actually one of the first comedians I would say that I ever heard on album on an wow. album on a, uh, yeah my my father took me to a uh, a girlfriend's house you know, they were, my mom and dad had gotten divorced years prior and he was dating somebody and she had all these old albums and one of them was a Lenny Bruce album and I said wow can I I, and I was like eight years old or something like that. I said, can I hear it? <laughs> and they let me hear it. Wow. To their credit, they let me hear it. But I will say this. I don't remember any of it. Yeah. And the fact is, is I really didn't get it. And, right. and, you know, based on context, obviously it's not going to happen. What Lenny Bruce did, what George Carlin did, what Richard Pryor did, that stuff was so, um, so ahead of its time mm -hmm. at that time. It's nothing now. I mean, these, and you could say just about anything on stage with the consequences, understanding that there may be consequences to your actions, right? But also, if you're going to a Bill Burr concert, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So if a person is being offended, I mean, this is the thing too. It's, I mean, you have to look at all of the different angles that are associated with it. I think we tend to react, right? That's when, that's what Mark Maron was kind of talking about. I think it's true. It's like, oh, I'm offended. So now I have to go out there to, to state those things. And I'm not saying that your feelings are, are wrong. I'm just saying, you know, there are going to be other people who are not offended by it and find it quite funny. So, you know, you, you have to, you have to read the room, right? Mm, you have mm -hmm. to read the room yeah. as a teacher, as a stand-up comic, as, as a director, as a writer, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Do you, 
Did yeah. you happen to see the recent George Collin um, documentary? I have. Uh, you know what? I have not yet. And I know that's probably sacrilege to those who love George Carlin. Um, no. I, and I'm a huge George Carlin fan. I just uh, based on a lot of other things that I'm doing right now, like podcasts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. No. So so why I brought it up is like I actually I'm I'm I was I pretty big fan of his, but. I didn't know his earlier life was really like basic mainstream comedy. Yeah. And he took a chance. Like you were talking about canceling. He was like, you know, I'm, I was, I was thinking Z100 is mainstream, like pop culture, (laughs) like, you know, dressed like the, you know, like the Beatles, like he was like the Beatles, like showed up dressed, nice cut him. And um, prior actually on the show, like couldn't say anything off, off like off collar like couldn't bring up politics and then he decided i i'm i'm not having fun anymore yeah yeah. i'm not growing as a comic Mm. i'm gonna say something and he was can't like he was out he lost all his money arrested it was done he was done and then he was and then all of a sudden the decades changed the culture changed and you had an anti-establishment anti mainstream that came along with him and all of a sudden he became the mainstream mm, yes right yes. so he started the culture and then there's comics that were trying to be like him and then it's like and then when you're at the top like that's a tough place to be too because now it's like well if you decide to change again people are going to hate you well that see that's the thing about carlin though he was he was so good like for example he could do that. He could be this guy. And then all of a sudden he's hosting the first Saturday night live ever. Right. Yeah. And, and then you, ha- he, he can't do a lot of the stuff that he's doing out there on Saturday night live on, on nationwide television. Right. But then he can be uh, in Prince of Tides and play, uh, you know, a, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the friend to Barbara Streisand. Right. And then, then he could be uh, in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and play that role. Uh, and uh, Rufus, right? And then play, um, then be on Shining Time Station of all things. Wasn't that a probationary reason, though? Didn't he have to be? No, because someone said that. Is no, that a uh, maybe? The, the, I don't the know rumor, that. the rumor was that he had to do that for probation. But I actually think, I think in the documentary, they didn't really mention that. But they did mention he loved it. Like he loved, yeah, yeah, kind of challenging himself to being that kind that of fact. comedy. You know, yeah. and that then like there's other comedians that can do that, too. And I find that amazing mm-hmm. that they could do that. Like Bob for you Saget. be able to like, yeah, but I was going to say Bob Saget. Like I never knew he was dirty until I got older. This guy was <laughs> on Full House. This guy was on America's Funniest. You know, like he he played the straight guy. He played he played that guy that like couldn't curse you. There was no way you thought he went and said the worst things ever in a comedy show. You know, like Did you. you ever, when I heard that, I was like, "What?" Yeah, the aristocrats. I saw. Yeah, we. I've seen the aristocrats. When I saw him in Half Baked, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like yeah. that was the craziest thing. That's America's dad. All of a sudden, decided to drop f bombs. I was like, "What?" I was like, talk yeah, about like yeah. nostalgic. I remember the moment I heard Bob Saget curse, and I kind of lost my mind. You know, like yeah. I was like, "What?" Like yeah. this guy, what? You know. So yeah, 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 it's crazy, and I, I and I guess, like, but that's the thing. Like, only a few know how to change or be the change, 
in the culture yeah, yeah. of comedy. Yeah. And bring everyone with them. That's the hard part. Like that's, that is the hard George Carlin had like, after a while, I mean, like at the end of his career, I mean, he had everyone was behind him and that's the hard yeah. part, like getting everyone behind you and still being able to like say things about everybody, but no, say his political jokes still work today. Yeah. But, crazy. But that's the thing. Like I love Bill Hicks. And whenever I see a Bill Hicks, like think of Bill Hicks, I'm like, here's also a person who America totally rejected and was just like, yeah, right. we hate you. Go to England to be famous there and then come back and do like, you know, backwoods comedy, you know, places. Right. And he was doing comedy since yeah. he was 16. But he was just saying the most unreal stuff. But he was just like so cutting edge. Like he was just like 19 and then he died in 96, like of cancer. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but it's interesting to kind of see that. Like, And I guess my question, like I have this really interesting, like this question too, Doug, about is comedy, do you feel like stand up specifically? Is that something that's specifically American? Like, because like, I'm always thinking like how, what this looks like in other countries. Like I, like I know, there are other comedians in other countries, but stand up here seems like it is at it, at the core. Like it is just everywhere. It's part of so many cultural movements and so many cultural spaces and so many different types of, um, you know, counterculture and mainstream culture, like comedy itself. So I'm, I was cu like curious your thoughts like about it as a art form. Um, I, well, I would say that it, it's not it's not unique to American culture anymore. I would say at one time it was, it, it may have been that way, but with the social media universe, the way that it is, you're going to see a lot of stand up, you know, French comics and, uh, you know, uh, Indian comics. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it's right now there's just, and I, to be honest with you, my main focus is generally American culture um, when it comes to my classes and stuff like that. But, with, with that said, I would I would say that with social media universe the way that it is, you start to see now that stand-up comedy uh, is um, is pervasive. Comedy is pervasive, right? Mm -hmm. Comedy and laughter is something that we all can do. We we all find it. It's like music in that way, you know. Yeah. Uh, you could just find common ground in those particular things. Um, in fact, I think about like, for example, Joe Coy, uh, who is mm. now he's got a new movie coming out uh, with about Easter and how Easter is huge in Filipino um, in the Filipino culture. Right. Mm. Um, ABC is kind of big with this. Right. ABC has a lot of shows that are, are always uh, focused around different uh, different ethnic groups and different uh, cultures. Right. Uh, Fresh off the boat, for example, Cristela was on for a while. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, thinking about um, modern family. Right. Uh, so what I would say is, is I, I would say currently anyway, that it is now more and more pervasive uh, and we're starting to see more individuals who are uh, outside of the outside of, you, you know, U.S. culture, mm. United States culture, American culture that are doing this because it's it's everyone could relate to it. I probably babbled a little bit too much there. No, <laughs> not at all. It's totally on board. Like Mitch Hedberg, like, you know, you mumble a little bit, you bow, you get to your point. It's all good. Um, like, we love that. <laughs> That's like right up our alley. Right. But I think you're right. I think like we think it's so 
part of our culture sometimes like especially thinking how many comics that we you know that are in our in the discussion now with like even comics just all over podcasting i mean like your stand-up comedians are constantly in the conversation now when like it was like you had to go to a place to a comedy club see a stand-up comic never hear from them again until you go see them and now it's social media and podcasting and youtube it's like 24 7 just comedy yeah. like stand-ups like giving their perspectives talking 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 and it's really a totally different world in terms of of that as well you know well i, I want to mention about conan o'brien i just want to oh. give you know his his uh you know give him his due because his show on tbs specifically he had a lot of comedians who would come on from different countries uh and so Mm. Uh, different countries other than America. Let's just say that I want to be careful as to how I go about wording it. But the idea of uh, people outside of the U.S. He he would bring on uh, a Flula Borg, for example, mm. uh, who's you know his I think that's his name is his hysterical German comedian. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and uh, uh, people from the even from the U.K. thinking about it from out you know right across the pond and stuff like that. So I'm just just thinking about it from that perspective that. We starting to, uh, I think a lot of comedians are starting to recognize that comedy is very uh, pervasive as well. Mm. And it's so much attached to like our, our own personal nostalgia, right? Like I'm thinking about Manny all the way back in the beginning of the episode when you were talking about watching a comic bomb and like how much that's like how much you love that because it looks so humanized. Like it's so much like it's exciting, right? And it's really awesome. Not for the see, comic. Not for yeah. the comic, but the idea of like, <laughs> how they deal with it and some comics like just like dive right into it and are like can like work with it but there was an album uh the the day the laughter died i think or the night the left died that andrew dice clay did which was produced by rick rubin and the whole album is only him bombing purposely almost like he would do all he would do his thing at master square garden whatever it was and then go to danger fields and just stand on stage and just talk and and it was just an album of silence almost the whole time. And wow. it's and then I think of Andrew Dice Clay and I think of who do you think, Manny? Matt Antonio. There you go, man. Yeah. <laughs> this kid That's hilarious. That this know, kid, man, so. comes up so many times. This is a friend of ours that kind of like <laughs> grew up with Dan before <sighs> I met Dan. And but like I was friends with him for a little period of time when Dan wasn't. Yeah. And but like there's so much of our nostalgic past that we were introduced to because of this guy, this guy. And he's never been on our show. Uh, we, but um, we've asked him and he's just kind of he's grown up. He's married, whatever. But I'm married, yeah. too. I mean, we're all married, but I don't know. He's yeah. Matt, come on the damn show. But um, yeah, Andrew Dice Clay, I remember listening to. First of all, whew, I got big work. trouble for listening. To Andrew, Andrew Dice, Dice Clay oh, would yeah. not work anymore. Um Unless he changed, unless he changes his comedy, obviously. I mean, I know he's still making a living, yeah. but like you said, like Doug, you even brought this up. Like he's not canceled. No, you know, no. he's just not making as much of his living as he was because that was more expected. Like what he said back then was really raunchy, and I mean, you could laugh at it now, but like there's so definitely some people that would find it very, very, very offensive. Oh God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, well, yeah. I think about him on Saturday Night Live, right? When he was on SNL. Oh, yeah. For only person. Nora in Dunn. Nora Dunn. Yeah. She he, yeah. She said, I'm I'm not even going to do the show. I don't want to even mm -hmm. be involved with this. It's yeah. not it's not like that anymore, though. If you notice, you have like Bill Burr, for example, or mm -hmm. that Dave Chappelle, 
or John Mul uh, John Mulrooney who uh, uh, John Mulvaney uh, uh, John Mulrooney that's an old one uh, John, <laughs> John that's from uh, that's my nostalgia that was from com uh, Comic Strip Live I don't know if anyone ever remember Comic <laughs> Strip Live. yeah from wow. back in the eighties and nineties but um, John Mulvaney right the the um, people now actually appreciate it more they're mm. actually it's not it's not like the old days where people would say i'm not doing the show because this guy is on the show mm. i mean even look at like when donald trump and elon musk were on the show they exactly. weren't they didn't say i'm not going to do the show we're going to just go go with this because it's just part of the pop culture yeah guys and it's it could give us more views it could give us more i more mean play. yeah that goes into like yeah well you know we yeah, exactly. There was a moment in time that people were just like, they wouldn't do the show and they would protest against it. And now it's, well, we're just going to go with this. And it's almost the joke. And I in think, a way. That, right, right. But if you even think of like SNL, like as a space for comedy, right? When it started, it was like very much counterculture, right? It was very much countercultural and kind of like Rolling Stone magazine, right? As decades progress, it's mainstream like it is and it is everyone knows it it's a it's it makes millions of dollars lorne michaels is like produces how many shows late night you know jimmy fallon is snl um seth myers is snl so he's like everybody from snl is everywhere it's injected into everything or movies or everything right sure so it's almost like it's counterculture but it's also just so mainstream and Rolling Stone, same thing. Like it, it's Hunter. It goes from Hunter S. Thompson to, um, oh God, what's his name? I'm totally forgetting this other writer that was really great, but sorry. But then now it's just a small magazine that I wouldn't want to even. Well, read it goes it. back to like Mad TV, like Mad. You remember Mad Love TV Mad was TV. trying to like, Love TV, and yeah. and that was like the counterculture of SNL. Like we're gonna we're gonna be the you know, we're, we're against now that you're like part of the corporation and you're part of the zeitgeist. So we're going to do this. And, it was, and it's great. Everyone loves it yet. It didn't last like, yes. but, yet, but yet SNL has like SNL has stand the test of time, even though like maybe they're not getting as many views, but who is like, there's so much out there now. It's hard to even like mm -hmm. you could get comedy on TikTok in a minute, you know, like, and yeah. you know, there's so much let's switch channel. And now they're competing against that. And I think, SNL is it's good. I mean, I watch it still. Yeah, I don't I don't I think and someone said this the other day. I kind of agree. They're like, we lost our culture because of the Internet, because the last the last decade that anything was like really cultural, they say, was the 90s. That's that was right. That was before. Yeah, it was, that was, I think it was on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, he, and I was like, I was trying to think about that. And I was like, and maybe, you know, obviously the 90s is huge for me. And that's like our decade. Um, I was born in 81. 90s is like my informative year. Yeah. Like I think about right. anything I think about it really comes back to the 90s. But it's like, is there truth in that? Is there like because like there was more focus on what was on television. There was like everyone talked about it was like if you didn't watch it and you were then you weren't in the conversation on Monday at school. Yeah, right. right you know, right. like and now it's like I could just look at my phone. And look at so many different things. Where's the water cooler talk? There isn't anymore. Like, well, SN, what's the beauty of S? That's the beauty of SNL, though. And I think what what what's interesting about SNL is that I, without the internet, I think it would have started to to 
uh, fall apart a little bit. But I think a lot of that, uh, let's just say, I think a lot of it has to do with the writing. Uh, as I've mentioned in, with you know earlier stuff, I think the writing is important. I also think it's based on the commitment of the the people who are on the show and mm -hmm. who are who are there. I mean, I think about like just before you have the Kate McKinnons and the A.D. Bryants uh, and the Keenan Thompsons and that sort of thing, where it was starting to. I remember like there was once there was once episode where every almost every sketch was like a game show, and you know they always have that one game show sketch that they always use, and it's like, like why are they? I mean is it really falling apart? And then all of a sudden you have people like Kate McKinnon, you know, um, you know, Pete Davidson, Mikey Day, uh, Alex Moffat, you know, all of these guys who are, I mean, who are just so, uh, Jay Farrow when he was on the show, oh, just, so you know, like these people are so committed to what it is that they're doing that you kind of almost have to find a funny though. Like, <laughs> there's a new guy on the show called Andrew Dismukes. Uh, oh. He's, he, who's hysterical. hysterical? And there's this one. There was this one sketch where Lizzo. It, they're talking about Beanie Babies, and I don't know if anyone saw this sketch, but it, it's really stupid, really stupid. But <laughs> there's this moment where he tips over the Beanie Babies on the on the thing, and he yells, "Gee, damn it!" And he screams, screams, <laughs> and he pushes it down, and he's so committed to that moment, and he's talking about how he draws Mario and he wants to draw Mario for a living. There's no possible way that could work if the person is not committed, mm. fully committed to what it is that they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it works. Um, yeah. You know, people who are Cecily Strong, you know, wanna, oh, by the way, Cecily Strong with the whole thing about her uh, with wearing the clown outfit and talking about the abortion she had years yeah. ago. That oh. was huge. huge. Oh, my huge. God. And it was, and it was spectacular. It was funny. It was raw. It was right. I mean, it was just, I mean, that is what SNL is all about, right? Mm -hmm. That is what, that's what you see with this kind of counterculture sort of thing that say, I'm going to just push the envelope and I don't care yeah. what people do. Like Andy Kaufman used to do, right? Oh, I'm going to yeah. just piss people off and I don't even care. I'm going to read the great Gatsby on, on, on uh on stage and that is it and i'm i'm gonna piss people off mm. and that's what makes that's what makes good comedy i think they were kind of dying off for a while there snl because of that they were just yeah it's not you know let's put another game show sketch out there yeah it would be kind of funny but i think it, it it takes a lot of uh guts to do what some of these people are doing now and it also like you said about the writing and i think that's what makes it nostalgic and it makes it culturally you know you connect to those things like there was a whole uh video sketch that they did about um <laughs> the father-son podcast uh oh my kit or something so the it was like it was a podcast <laughs> it wasn't recording at all it just wasn't it yes. was just it was just no, it was the up. white man. It was the white man's no. podcast kit. Oh no, there were two that. podcast ones. Oh yeah, one. there was one with the father and son. There was a right. father and son. They because fathers and sons can't talk to each other. Uh, you know, masculinity, all those you know things that we talk about when it comes to you know men and and stuff. And it was like no, but men do talk to each other in podcast form so oh yeah, I remember hilarious. the joke, and it was like it was like get to know your dad, and it was like yeah. they're both talking to each other through like <laughs> with a mic in front of them and, and then, then like it wasn't recording at all no and then yeah. the one you said manny about how oh, yeah. it's like it's responding to like just like i mean here we are <laughs> they made fun of what we're doing right now yeah yeah 
Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. It was it was perfect. a fantastic skit, and I thought it was genius yeah. as a as a skit. And they, yeah. that and I I I I appreciate comedy. So and most comedy is great because like you know Doug said it, you relate to it. If you can't mm -hmm. relate to it, yeah, it's harder to like. Maybe you have, like there's dark comedy and like you laugh because you're there's a little darkness into it. But like when you relate to it and like you're cracking up like the giggles, it's like, it's almost like you're okay with making fun of yourself because like there's something mm -hmm. in your life where you know somebody or you've seen that happen and you're like, it's just hilarious. So like, mm -hmm. but there's so many different forms of comedy. I'm just like thinking, like, I know we, we focused a lot on stand up, and then we're bringing up a show like, um, like a sketch show, like, Saturday Night Live, and then I like uh, like this whole time as we're talking, I keep thinking of Charlie Chaplin, yeah, and yeah. just thinking about that kind of comedy, and like thinking about him in his time, and like being able to a silent film actor making yeah. you laugh, and like what that took, you know, like mm -hmm, I would have loved mm -hmm. to see, I would have loved to see outtakes, what it was like to be on stage with Charlie Chaplin. Oh, like yeah. what it sounded yeah. like, because like, was it as funny when you heard everything or is it like, actually, <laughs> there's an art to the fact that it was silent, you know, like, yeah, it, I just. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I was going to say, I just read Buster Keaton. Uh, James Curtis wrote a book on Buster Keaton and he talked about um, because Buster Keaton's an interesting one as well, who was able to acclimate from uh, the silent world up to like he would do commercials in the 1960s and stuff mm -hmm. like that he would do and he, the thing is 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 it really depended on the person in those particular instances chaplin was able to kind of acclimate a little bit to the sound world he did a couple of sound movies limelight for example and that sort of thing but he was it, it didn't it didn't work very well for him you know uh, as opposed to keaton who always felt like he was he was a he keaton was a physical comic right mm -hmm. Uh, Chaplin was more about the emotion of the comedy. You know, the great, uh, he had this kind of beautiful face that you could put a, a, you know, close up to and you could feel the emotion coming from Keaton was the great stone face. And he always made sure the camera was further away. So you could see all the, the, you know, the, um, the, the slapstick that was taking place hmm. during that time. And so, so I think a lot of it has to do with the, the individual, uh, the, the tenacity of the individual, the, the voice of that individual, People who write comedy take it very seriously. And Keaton yeah. was like that. You know what I mean? And, and I think Chaplin was like that too. I would say there's probably not a lot of laughs no. <laughs> behind the scenes. No, I mean, that goes back to sometimes you do find out that comic comics are actually very, very serious. And this is kind of a way to cope with how serious they are. Mm. Like, and you, you know, you go back to like Robin Williams and mm -hmm. problems that he was having yet. Like you would see him on stage and think that he's funny all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. um, and talk about, yeah, with Charlie Chaplin, like that movie was a, the great dictator or something like that. He mm -hmm. does like this mm -hmm. huge speech. Whew, that speech is huge. That, like, that's some <laughs> serious stuff right there. I'm like, isn't this guy supposed to be a comedian? I always find that comics actually do a really good job at like dramatic roles. Oh, like yeah. they oh, could absolutely. play the exact opposite, like that smiling, laughing face and that sad face of like that you see on stages all the time. I'm like, that is a comic like mm -hmm. they like Tom Hanks was a comedian. Oh, he was so funny. We yeah, knew yeah. him at, 
in the funniest movies. He was so great. I mean, I, I loved him in Big. I, I mean, he, he the was it Bosom Buddies? I mean, yeah, sure. Like Bachelor Party, and then Turner all of a sudden, turn yeah. Then all of a sudden, he turns into Tom Hanks, serious actor, and we were all yeah. for it. We're all like, oh my god, like yeah, yeah. Guys, like I, I pretty guess- like. Jesus, I forget that he's a comic sometimes. I'm like, yeah. no, he started yeah. as like physical comedy. So I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people think of him when, uh, you know, when we talk about Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, and that was early '90s. He did a movie called Punchline. If anyone's yes. ever seen Punchline, which is about stand-up comedy and the dark side of it, Sally Field, John Goodman, um, Paul Rodriguez had a small role in it. He was, you know, a stand-up from the '80s. And it talks a great deal about the dark side of, of this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think about Steve Martin too. Steve Martin, I went to go see Steve Martin in concert. Oh. He was kind of talking about his career. Um, and uh, it was like an NPR event. Mm. And um, right after he came out and he was doing signatures and stuff like that. And he's such a, he's such a Zen guy. Like you never, you, you would think he was on, like on all the time. And it wasn't like that at all. In fact, I told him, I said, one of my favorite performances of his is a movie called Grand Canyon, mm. which was back in the early 90s uh, with mm. uh, a Lawrence Kasdan movie directed uh, Big Chill. So uh, it's a fantastic film and it's a very dramatic role. Mm. Uh, so so it's interesting. I think you're right, Manny. I think we, we see a lot of that stuff uh, happening. They, they're, comedy is harder than drama. It just. Oh, makes, yeah. And then you like again it, the culture or just the um, years that changed. Like what was funny, isn't anymore. So now you got to find the new funny, and it's like okay. So there's and and because like so stand up became huge on Netflix. It's now like a way to like stream a lot of good things. But like, what's the recent comedy that's out? Like a comedy show that I mean, I guess murders murders in the building is you know you got two great comedians doing it and the right i i happen to like it i, I think i think it really couldn't get through i, I, get I just have the first two episodes i haven't I watched like, much i happen i don't think it's like my like there's like the re- most recent com- comedy show that i watched before that was new girl which i thought was phenomenal mm-hmm. when it was out and I remember Dan mm-hmm. said that this, this show is not good. I was like, I, I watch the show. No, no, the show is phenomenal. The show is really good. And then right I'm watching I'm watching this, but I'm like, I don't think it's like the new culture, though. It's There's like some nostalgia to it. It's like set up like stuff we used to see. Well, with a new spin on it. That's Ooh. why I think the marvelous Mrs. Maisel does so well. Like I look at it and I'm like, it's so huge. But it that show started me, pissing me off too. But it, but there's something like that. It touches on those moments, right? Like you see a character, an actor who's Lenny Bruce, and he's and that actor is phenomenal. I mean, I can't believe that. I feel like I'm watching Lenny. I hear him, but it like it really touches on all the cultural points where like. On stand, not just stand up and the performers, but it takes in a culture around it, which I think that's what comedy does really well. That even in like a movie or a TV series or you know or you know stand up or whatever, it 
it works on taking in the culture really well and kind of try to deliver it to people, whether it's in a 30 second, 30 minute uh, you know, sitcom or a 45 minute set or like an hour and a half movie. It does a good job of like you said in the beginning, Doug, like reading the room because you can't, there are eighties comedies that you can't just reboot and redo because you got to mm-hmm. read the room. It's not going to work. Can you be funny still? Yeah. But you got to know that the, you know, the, the room that you're in and, yeah. and realize yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem is this niche market too. Right. So, I mean, I tell my students this oftentimes you could go to the uh, grocery store and find, you know, coconut mango bubble gum, but how many people want to eat coconut mango bubble gum? Right. I mean, you know, I remember once I went to the store and I was going to pick up Oreos for my wife. I said, you know, she wanted Oreos. So I went to go uh, to the store and there were no regular Oreos. It was, you know, thin Oreos. There was double stuffed <laughs> Oreos. There was mint Oreos. There was strawberry Oreos. It was oh. Oreos, you know, that were that was shaped like, you know, uh, toys, uh, like uh, from, you know, Pixar's, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Cars too, you know. And it's like, where are the regular Oreos, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is, is I think we play to these niche markets and we say five people want to see this. And then, you know, and then they put it out and it's not successful. Like, for example, Everyone loves Step Brothers, right? And, and I mean, Step Brothers is one of the funniest movies. I mean, it's really hysterical, right? And then they said, let's make another movie because, you know, uh, because we're just jumping off the back of that. What is that? What was Holmes and Watson? Yeah. Uh, you, know, oh, uh, yeah. It, you know, and uh, and it was, it was a total bomb. It was, and it's like, you're not, again, you're not reading the room and you're not, you're just trying to play off of something that happened 10 years ago. Well, I guess because then you, what was like Talladega Nights, then Step Brothers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then that, and it's like yeah, like the joke, like when you start reusing jokes, it's like yeah, no, it's like yeah. how many, um, it, it's like they find two people who are just so good together and they just ram it down your throats until like they just runs out. Yeah. You know, I mean, right, it's right. gonna happen soon with. In my opinion, it's got to happen soon with The Rock and Kevin Hart. I mean, I like a lot of the things that yeah. they've done together, but at some point, it's just going to miss. And then yes, you'll right, never right. see it again. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, until then. But they're not going to get off that high train and eat the high horse. I mean, anytime soon. There's no yeah. way you, you're you're making. I mean, what is The Rock like the biggest movie star? Love him. Like in. The, yeah. yeah, I love him, too. And I was just watching a b- bunch of wrestling stuff on him. And the fact that, like, you know, he started at the World Wrestling Federation is insane that he's gotten to the point where he's the highest paid actor right now. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. but yeah. And he owns yep. XFL. I Stone Cold Steve Austin was on Hot Ones um, and. <laughs> He, he had uh, he, he was speaking about how he respected The Rock so much because when The Rock would come out, people would be like, you know, here's Dwayne Johnson, nobody. He's, you know, people would boo him. I actually saw him very early on in his career at this, you know, kind of like a bar setup where they were having wrestling at this, you know, like club in the city or <laughs> wow. something like awesome. that. And it was very, very, very early on in his career. Uh, you know, like Jake the Snake Roberts was still popular back then. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so, so this you know this guy he was he was nothing in stone cold said but then all of a sudden he and this is what we were talking about before you you kind of have to switch up and know, read the room right so mm-hmm. what he does is he starts to lift his eyebrow and he starts to have his little sayings and 
you know, do you smell what the rock is cooking? And he has comes up with all this stuff. And eventually he became this icon because he just knew how to play the game and he knew how, yeah. to, how to do it, you know? And, yeah. and I think com comedians have to do that as well. They have to mm. figure it out. Yeah. There's um, there's the, just the last thing on rock and, and stone cold. Like there's actually a documentary on both of them talking about their rivalry and how the stone cold was the first to be honest with the crowd. And that worked for him. And then the rock was, was kind of being phony. And he came back when he came back at, at a certain time is when he's like, I'm just going to be me. And yeah. he turned heel, but he was being honest. Like, but there was connection to that. Like oh, people yeah. like yeah. the arrogance and people were like, even though they hated him, they loved to hate him. Loved him. And it was like, they were like Batman and Joker. They needed each other. Yeah. And they were just kind of like, they were saying it's, it's known to be one of the best rivalries of that time. Like, greatest. Yeah. Greatest. Think improv. about like, just think about like going back. Yeah. Just talk about. The, the one-liners that they were coming up with and, oh, like, and then like stone cold was saying he had to start like making fun of that because he didn't even know how to like combat yeah. it. and then he had to start doing one-liners and like coming up with things because like the rock was just coming up i don't care what you have to say <laughs> i loved it oh my god well yo we are i feel like we could go on for hours it's a change in standards yeah, yeah but i yeah. i i want as we're like you know come to have like one last question i mean you know this could be for everyone because you know we're talking about stand-up we're talking about you know comedy but you know i feel like in stand-up like i would really kind of like to know doug like um and manny as well like um and then i'll throw it in as well like um you're, you know, right now the stand-up comedy uh, comedian that you like are listening to or watching. Like, what is the, who do you feel like you, you know, right now is your, you know, favorite comedian out there, possibly? Oh, um, for me, I would say uh, Bill Bill Burr is is way up there. You know, Chappelle is one of the smartest people on the planet. Um, uh, in my estimation, he's just he's just he just knows what to do up there um uh you know what i i truly miss norm mcdonald a lot i mm. mentioned norm mcdonald in the beginning uh, uh and just one of those people who one of my favorite and this is one i i do pretty well you could hear i could do norm mcdonald okay he goes you know uh the other day i uh saw my grandmother uh you know uh you know when you get old these weird things happen you know i saw my grandmother and she had this bruise it was from her shoulder down to her wrist and I said, Grandma, Grandma, what happened? And she goes, the wind. That's genius, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, and I want to mention something. It was a shame I heard today. Samantha B, mm. uh, her show was canceled on TBS today. What? I, you know, I think she's, I know, I just heard today it was canceled. That's uh, she is fantastic, really funny, and a great show. It was a good show. I use it sometimes uh, in my classes as well. They need so to give her. One. Then when James Corden leaves, let's like give Samantha B that spot. That's or, a great idea. I want to see a woman what? in the late night spot on like on like national television. Like let's like get, change it up. Like someone else other than like who we've had. It's like you know Samantha B would be perfect for that. Perfect. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Norm McDonald, I love, I just want to say like, uh, there's a, if you haven't heard, there's a Norm McDonald like sketch CD where he does actual sketches like Adam Sandler used to do like those Adam Sandler CDs and stuff. Like there's one yeah, yeah. where he does, and it's like the fantastic four. There's a fantastic four sketch where he's like, he gives everyone a name and he's like, and I'm Mr. Fantastic. You're like, wait, wait a second. Like you are Mr. Stretchy. That's like, what do you do? And it's like. But like Norm Macdonald, one of my favorite things that he ever did when he was on Weekend Update, he was one of my favorite people because he oh, always do so a, a Frank Stallone joke somewhere out of nowhere. Oh, and it would just yeah. be like, it's Frank Stallone. And I was like, wait a second, what is this? And it was like so ridiculous. But yeah, Norm Macdonald. Awesome. Yeah. Manny, what about you awesome. right now? Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with the whole crowd. I, I actually stepped away from like stand up comedy for a little while. Um, the last show that I watched was the, the Chappelle special um, that got like this whole big crowd against him and stuff like that. I, I thought he, I thought it was great. Um, I understood. I, and he like brought it up that he was being pretty much canceled. Um, I do think he's very smart. Um, I haven't really watched anyone new. I've seen like previews on, on Netflix, like the Bill Burr one just came out. Um, I've seen some stuff. Um, I don't have like a favorite guy right now. Like mm. there's not someone that I'm just like, oh yeah, I want to listen to him all the time. I got to get back to it. I think there's, I got inundated with like, um, well, this podcast makes me watch a lot of old stuff. Um, and yeah. um, I, the last couple of months when I have been watching stuff, like I went to go see Maverick. I went to go see Lightyear. I went, you know, like, so I was kind of busy, um, but it does look like some really good, like funny things are out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a, a favorite right now. I think uh, I'm excited to see Chris Rock perform. Yeah. Um, I want to see what after his altercation, like what his, <laughs> yeah. what his um, yeah. jokes are going to be mm -hmm. uh, like about that and stuff. I thought, but that was crazy part of talking about culture. I thought that was crazy yeah, that we right, all right. we all saw that. Um, and I was like, you can like to do the, to show that you could do that to a comedy a comedian on stage is scary um, because then it's just gonna cause other people to want to copycat it. Which apparently Dave Chappelle got attacked. Like no, Dave, yes, was it? yeah, that was Chappelle. Yeah, was Chappelle. yeah, Chappelle. That, I think even the day before that, Mike. Tyson or someone was doing an act or something on stage. Someone was in, there was a gun pulled on them. So that was a whole thing. Yeah. So it was crazy. And then it's like, I, I hope because of how fast our world moves in the news channel, the news, like just is that people forgot that that happened. And like, we need to just yeah. not do that to people that are on stage yeah. saying things. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah. So I guess, Dan, I don't know. There's a long winded answer to like, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm like, I'm looking at like most of my sketch sketches now are on like, unfortunately, and I'm going to submit it because I have to be the, the marketing guy at the brewery, same as plug, um, that I just watched quick sketches on TikTok and Instagram mm -hmm. of shows that are premiered on Netflix and HBO. And they all look pretty funny. Like this is a, there's a woman that you, we follow Dan on our Instagram. She's oh, really Steph. raunchy. Steph sucks about uh, labias and stuff like that. She's oh raunchy. God. I want to see her because she sounds amazing. She's like the new, uh, what, what was it? What was, was this girl? Um, oh no, the comedian that she was older. She was made fun of balls a lot. She was 
um and black guys she always like fuck black guys oh like, I, I, I forget what her name was but the, the comedian you're talking about is uh steph tolev yes she's got just everyone follow her on instagram i love her. steph Dude, tolev. she probably she saying your name like wrong. a firecracker i, have her. I, I, I would can't. love to have you on the podcast please reach out she's an awesome comedian check her out she's really funny actually yeah yeah. Um, I just I want to give a, a plug to somebody somebody else too. I'm reading currently. Please don't sit on my bed in your outside clothes by Phoebe Robinson, uh, <laughs> which is uh, really hysterical and really funny and a, oh a great God. book. And I would I would recommend seeing uh, just for nostalgia's sake, the great Dennis Wolfberg. I think mm. you should take a look at his work uh, mm. from uh, back. In, he did one night stands and stuff like that. He died way 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 too young. Uh, but uh, fantastic comedian. Just I would just recommend. Mm. I want to I want to make sure I mentioned Dennis Wolberg's name before mm. we head on out. Sorry. <laughs> no, Dan, man, what's absolutely. what's yours, Dan? Right now, I'm just obsessed with um, you know Tig Notaro. When I first moved to LA, I saw mm. Tig Notaro live at Largo. She is a <laughs> she's to me like master. she she's a master exactly like and she her delivery is perfect. And she's got these two amazing podcasts as well. Don't ask Tig and this one called this one about documentaries with uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Hines that she does. Um, but she is so good. Um, her special uh, when she got diagnosed with breast cancer and when she almost died and all that was one of the most impactful specials, uh, impactful albums I ever listened to um, at ever uh, for comedy. And um, all her stuff after that has been just dynamite tignataro is like um a master of what she does it's a uh, it's really amazing to kind of listen to her so yeah wow doug this has been an amazing episode i want to thank, thank you, you for being here thank you for you know sharing all this information and knowledge thank you for like this conversation um yeah thank yeah, you guys just, for having me yeah. on i really appreciate it absolutely Oh, just last mention. Have you guys seen the Matt Michael Che show? No, that damn oh, Michael Che show. I want to see that. I just saw his. I just saw his stand up act, and he's another genius. Yeah. The two yes. of them, Colin Jost and Michael Che. Oh my god! Best. When I heard they were both coming back, I was so happy. I was like, Check oh man. Yeah, I had a, I had a, like a like a fear that they would be leaving as well yeah. this season too, because we we lost some big names this time. Yeah, you know, the new guys are are good, um, definitely. But those were sad to see them go. But yeah, I can't believe yeah, Thompson's still staying there. Of isn't course, it, isn't it like the yeah. longest running? Years, he wants to go twenty. He wants to go twenty. He wants to do twenty. That's what I heard. Amazing. Yeah. You every time see you were, last thing, Dan. Sorry, you want to talk about <laughs> nostalgia? Every time he comes on, I'm like that guy was in. You know, welcome to Good Burger. Like you're yeah. you're like. What he was on all that, and we get to watch him all the yeah. time now, and he's yeah. still yeah. on fire all the time. Yeah. His facial expressions are amazing. Yeah. Are amazing. I find him. I'm. I think he's one of the best. Check out the orange yeah. years. Oh, the orange years. Yeah, same with Spud. The orange yeah. years. We did. And, uh, yeah, and uh, their new documentary about Guar. Um, yes. Yeah, but again, everyone, thank you so much for listening, Doug. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, hopefully, we can do yeah, this again. You. And definitely, Absolutely. everyone, we would love to hear your comments, your thoughts, your ideas, your favorite comedians, your favorite comedies, anything comedy, throw it in the comments. Anything comedy. Cable guy. 
Tag Jim us Carrey. We Twitter. didn't even talk about Jim Carrey. Oh man, we, we have no me time. another episode done. No time. <laughs> we have, tag us or you know, follow us on Twitter at this uh at the nostalgia test on Instagram and TikTok, TikTok at the nostalgia test podcast. Wait, at the nostalgia test podcast. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. No, at the nostalgia test and on Twitter at nostalgia test. People it's into all, Mary's Manny's brewery for a little bit. You yeah, does does cable guy pass the nostalgia test? Dan, we're gonna have to do that one. We'll do that one with powder. There's a lot of electricity in both. So, we'll oh, people, powder. All I can't the believe I can't believe the guy in powder was in that uh that other move. Simply irresistible. I just I can't believe that's a, the podcast. That is now. such a random <laughs> reference. Man, Dan, you're pulling out all the rank. No, Dan said, listen, Dan setting up other shows that we're gonna we already planned on in the future to do. Everyone, thank you so much. <laughs> Peace out. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to the Nostalgia Test Podcast to know when new episodes drop. Don't forget to leave us five stars and a positive review so more people can find the podcast. Share your thoughts and memories on today's topic on our Twitter at Nostalgia Test and on Instagram at The Nostalgia Test. Tune in next time because you never know what pop culture will pop up on The Nostalgia Test.